You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. We are the Sacred Collective. All are respected, all are heard, all are welcomed. Join us. Welcome to the Sacred Collective. Um, we have tonight for an interview Maria French. And she is, what was your, what's your title? Uh, nothing incredibly fancy, just director. Director. <laughs> uh, at Hatchery LA. Yes. And we wanted to pick her brain about a couple things. Mm-hmm. But if you w- wouldn't mind, just kind of say what you can about Hatchery LA. We want to promote that because yeah, we think it's really cool. You. And then I think, Caleb, you're doing a... A class or a couple of classes that just finished out mm-hmm. one actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so if you want to spiritual just, entrepreneurship, yeah, yeah, yeah. just jump Absolutely. in and tell us about Hatchery and what what you guys are about, yeah, what you're doing and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I would love it. So, um, officially, we're an incubator for spiritual entrepreneurship. Um, we're probably one of like three or four incubators in the country who are claiming to do the work of spiritual entrepreneurship. And this phrase is kind of a little funky. It's really peculiar. People don't always know what it means. We didn't coin it, certainly, um, but we saw it getting a lot of sort of air under it. And people started picking it up because essentially how we use it and how some of our colleagues use it, it's all about applying principles of innovation to things like theological frameworks, faith-based community, church models, you know, even God, you know, mm-hmm. what does it look like to innovate upon all of these things as we move into the 21st century in the West? Um, so that is at the, you know, kind of the 30,000 foot uh, view of, of what we do. And we break that down in a, a few different ways, but that's to answer your first question. Awesome. Yeah. Um, now, is it strictly for like quote unquote Christians or is it open to anyone and everyone kind of dealing with spiritual entrepreneurship? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I get asked that a lot. And I think right now, all of our curriculum is really poised to be multi-faith. And for anybody who is looking to um, continue to innovate and evolve and develop a really dynamic living spirituality that makes sense, you know, for our social locations, our contexts, our cultures, and in ways where meaning is very deeply (laughs) and consistently made and um, continues to grow. Uh, But all that to say, right now, we are specifically working with people who are self-identified Christians, um, definitely of a more progressive nature, for sure. Um, And, you know, not this past cohort that just finished, but the cohort before, we did have some atheists and agnostic people. um, And I think they were attracted to us because they were Christians at one point, but for so many reasons and ones that we're all familiar with here, you know, they decided, you know, they, they usually grew up in something very conservative, fundamental, and they're usually given two choices. You know, you can be a Christian and it looks like this, or you have to kind of leave it all behind and check your whole spiritual identity, your Jesus story, all of that at the door and just choose anti-belief or non-belief or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, being forced to make one of those choices, they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been really interesting. But something we're doing is resonating with people who have left faith in the past because they thought they couldn't intellectually hack it anymore or it was forcing them to compromise their sense of reason and their postmodern sensibilities. And uh, so we're connecting with that demographic as well, which usually ends up being more millennial, um, elder millennial, <laughs> uh, and, and sort of Gen Xers. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting. Mm. If you don't mind me asking, how did you... Because I kind of know your background a little yeah. bit. How did you just kind of fall into doing hatchery? Because I know you dabbled in other things. Yeah. And then I remember, you know, following I've dabbled. On, dabbled. <laughs> um, that's a nice word, What dabble. was your gateway to yeah, hatchery? Yeah, was your gateway to hatchery. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I knew you were here in the, in the Twin Cities. Yeah. You know, we went to school together. And then you were, like you said, in Europe for a little bit off off recording. Yeah. Um, but then so how, kind of how did that kind of evolve? And you being out there and kind of just going into that. Yeah, you know, it's so amazing. It's it's such a story, but one that I see a really consistent thread running through. Like for me, it's always been about like what is the next stage of my own Christianity mm-hmm. and my own God story. Um, and it's just kind of led me from the next place to the next place. So in, in that sense, I feel really lucky. I've certainly gone through a process of like things dying and composting and new growth and, you know, things dying so that something else lives in its place. And my Christian, Christianity now is like night and day different from my Christianity 10 years ago. And mm. um, most people from my Christianity 10 years ago will say things to me like, what happened? <laughs> Same. <laughs> to Same. 10 years to you know today um yeah. which is funny um 
But I think for me, um, I, I grew up Catholic, and then I eventually, in my early teenage years, became kind of evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic, um, you know, went to university with that particular bent, as you know, because we went together, yeah. um, went on to grad school, um, and eventually worked my way out of the charismatic piece, um, worked my way through evangelicalism, became progressive evangelicalism, uh, evangelical became post-evangelical even, um, and so I just feel like every time I've made those switches um, or moves or growths into the future, uh, something was sort of there waiting for me, like a fresh expression of how I was going to offer up my story, anything I've learned, my skills, degrees I might have acquired along the way, you know, whatever. Um, and it all would it all sort of traversed, you know, together in that moment. And so Hatchery is the latest of that for me. I've been in academia, both as a professor and administrator. I've been um, on the ministry side of things, certainly. Um, when I ran into Hatchery, which was about five years ago, um, they had just launched. And uh, I had met the founder and some of the other team members. And I was doing work in the Twin Cities at the time on a new theological um, educational project. And um, it was getting noticed for innovation, and they were doing innovation work. And so we just started talking, and I ended up doing a little bit of work for them to help them get started, um, but then kind of moved on from that, and they continued to grow their program. And a little less than two years ago, um, I was moving back from Europe because I was in France for about a year and a half, uh, mm-hmm. doing a lot of things, studying uh, One was one of them. And... Um, they called and they said, you know, we're, we're pivoting, we're going in a new direction with some of our curriculum, and we want you to come on and, and help us do it. And I said, absolutely. So, Can I ask you a, a slightly personal of question about something <laughs> that you just said? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're talking about moving from, uh, did you say... Catholicism was your was your initial introduction to Catholicism, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Roman Catholic. I grew up Italian in New York, so... Okay, so... Very Catholic, yeah. Would you say, was it the same force or the same momentum or the same motivator, the same curiosity that moved you from Catholicism to evangelicalism and then from evangelicalism to post-evangelicalism into a more progressive place? Like, did did the curiosity or the motivator change? Is that is that why your worldview changed? Or was it like the same thing kind of just dragging you through these different stages of, of faith? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think for me, um, curiosity has always been the motivator. Mm -hmm. And I remember very distinctly, like as a little girl, walking into these big Catholic cathedrals in New York. I mean, I made all the sacraments. Like I was pretty, you know, deep Mm -hmm. in. Um, And, you know, with everything that we could criticize, you know, the Catholic faith for, I just remember walking in and seeing like just beauty, you know, Mm. the stained glass windows, the statues, it was very quiet. You had to be quiet. There was a sense of reverence. There was a sense of something holy was in here and you had to recognize it. Um, And for me, I was like, what is living in here? Mm. You know, Um, who are you? Where are you? What is happening here? And I want to know, you know, Mm. I was always driven by that. Mm. And the funny thing is now, I'm not driven by um, knowledge, you know, that's a bit of an illusion illusion and and social production in a sense. And I'm driven by unknowing at the moment and not in a way that's like incredibly deconstructive, although we're always going to be going through a period of deconstruction as we continue on in life. Um, But just in a way where I'm so much more comfortable with the not knowing than the knowing. So it's funny that the knowing drove me in the first place because now I would say it's sort of mm, the opposite and it's why I do yeah. this work to allow people to not have to sign on to kind of lock, stock and barrel, like knowing, um, you know, in a very modern kind of modernity way, um, when it comes to ideology and theology mm. and all of that. But back to your original question. Yeah. Curiosity. What was, is what drove me. And I think mm-hmm. the switch from, um, evangelical, uh, Catholicism to evangelical and even Pentecostal charismatic, um, was just a sense that I felt like I had found yeah. the thing that I was asking the question of. Mm. When I said, you know, what's in here? Who lives in here? I figured out who lives in there. And I figured out that at that point, it seemed possible to have a relationship with this thing, this person, this object, this being, this God. Mm. Um, and so, um, 
I think even as an evangelical, um, I was really captured by and very deeply and meaningfully formed by a Catholic understanding of reverence. Mm. Um, so I was a really weird evangelical because <laughs> normally evangelicals and Pentecostals are pretty um, casual <laughs> yeah. when it comes to God and prayer. And, uh-huh. you know, Jesus is my buddy and, you know, right. my best friend my and homeboy. my homeboy. And I had that certainly at that time in my life, but I also was like, Okay, Jesus is this, like right. the friend that's closer than a brother sort of situation, but it's also like God and like I loved addressing God as Yahweh and Jehovah mm-hmm. and you know, because yeah. for me it represented that Catholic understanding of just the mm. hugeness. Yeah. And I think even in my progression away from, you know, divine caregiver constructs and, you know, personal Jesus and all of that, um, it has never been a negating of that. It's just been that I've moved past it and I'm posted. I'm always mm. just posted. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have, are you yeah. saying that you haven't pushed against it? You've, hey, hey, you think you've become more familiar yeah. with that thing that was always there or is it, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm no, just no, no, it's okay. curious about what you're saying. Is, is it that, have you come to know God more or have you come to realize that God was less than what you defined it? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's an either or. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. me, um, it's a story for a lot of us, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not an either or, and I think for me, uh, being driven by curiosity and and kind of the drive to know what it was that I was sensing, intuiting, and feeling in those mm. moments, um, I'm still driven by that. So I'm I'm really progressive, and people would put me in all sorts of like unchristian categories that I would not jive with and sanction at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of times people don't know what to do with me, so whatever. Um, But for me, I'm actually like incredibly interested in hermeneutics and scripture and Mm -hmm. continental philosophy and literary theory and getting that part right because I Mm -hmm. think getting it wrong Mm -hmm. for so many years has done so much damage. Um, on both sides, like both the the conservative and liberal spectrums of of Christianity. So um, this kind of weird enigma who's, you know, a radical theologian of sorts, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, also really concerned with um, interpretation and storied interpretations of, of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that just answered your question. I feel like I keep going More on these than tangents, answered. but okay. Yeah, and if I can piggyback off, <laughs> yeah. I think kind of like how you went through your spiritual walk journey, whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, it resonates with me a lot because I... My mom grew up a son of the God in, yeah. in Milwaukee. My dad grew up Lutheran mm-hmm. in South Dakota, and they got married and moved to the cities. But my dad, you know, was fine. He con- kind of converted to Pentecostalism. It wasn't a big deal as long as we were in church. But my dad, for many, many years, pretty much my whole upbringing worked um, as, like, a custodial person and as, like, the whole church person at a Lutheran church. Mm-hmm. And I would always go to, like, my Pentecostal church, my AG church, and you know, do the whole thing, you know, pray, not really fully knowing what it meant, but it was just a good thing to do. But I would go, like, especially during, like, summer break from school, my dad would always just try to find me, and this was obviously before phones and stuff, and I would just be sitting in the the sanctuary Mm -hmm. looking at the stained glass, Mm -hmm. looking at, like, the the candles and stuff, and it was that, like, you were saying, that reverence Mm -hmm. of something's living in here. Right. I don't know what that <laughs> yes. is at the time. Could it's it so be traumatizing for a child well, yeah, sometimes. Like, yeah. My mom to this day, she was like, I yeah. could tell like when your dad brought that up, like something was kind of like mm-hmm. the, the you know, kind of the train in my head was moving. And then, you know, even when I went to the college that we won't name yeah. <laughs> per se, and I, I when I was at that, when we were at that school, like everything I was being taught was like, that it's it's fine, but I, I miss that reverence. Or I was like even right. like deconstructing of like, because like you like the same with us. Like we're, we're both seminary trained and educated, mm-hmm. but and so you want to get the hermeneutics right. You want to get like there is a right way to read scripture and understanding it and, and to look at it into our lives. Yeah. And then, but I found like I'm kind of the same with you. It's not about knowledge for me. Like there, there's great. There's the theology. Like Caleb and I talked on the way over here today when I picked him up like all these theological views and I said at the end of the day if I'm wrong great I don't I don't care it's not about yeah. that for me yeah. and even through my deconstruction and sometimes reconstructing and like you said even we're always going to be deconstructing yeah. to a, to a, a to moment a degree, yeah. yeah but to me it's not even about the the knowing fully what God is or who God is but it's just kind of understanding, like, being on this journey. Like, I tell my wife sometimes, like, I pray, but 
but I don't know if prayer works. I don't know if I'm conditioned to do it because I've yeah. always been, but I still do it because that's a part of my life, and I do think that there's God out there, whatever God is. Yeah. And but I'm not so naive to think like I'm going to pray to God and He's my buddy. Yeah. And that He's going to change my life or it's going to change my life. So I kind of think some of uh, it's not saying our yeah. paths the same, sure. but kind of how we kind They're of definitely overlapping. Yeah, there's factors. overlapping of, yeah. of how we done like how we've done that, and I think. There's a lot of us, like I would say, and one of the reasons we kind of did this podcast, too, is I've come across so many people who have been raised in the evangelical church, whatever that, Mm -hmm. the swath of whatever it is, and then they come out to the end of it, out of college, out of seminary, out of ministry, and they're like, what? Like, what is left? What what is there? What is going on? And I think that there's, there's a need for people to be, like, communities are popping up of of people being like, we still believe in this God thing, yeah. But I don't know what's what is all about. Well, and you know, I really, I really struggle with this word "believe" or "belief." I try and stay away from it because I just think it's a little like antiquated. And it, that might be harsher than what I want to say. I just can't think of another word. But because for me, like when I think about Christianity and Christian community, I think about like embodiment. I think about incarnation. I think about meaning being made, like in your social location, wherever you are. Like, mm-hmm. what does it look like? to um, have salific experiences within like a New Testament redemptive narrative that makes sense for mm-hmm. who we are. Um, for me, at this point in my life and in my, my spirituality, it is so not about affirming agency or mm-hmm. unaffirming agency outside myself. Mm-hmm. I will never get caught in that debate ever. Yeah. And people try and catch me in all the time. And I'm like, I'm not doing that with you. Mm-hmm. Like, I- that is so not the point. Right. Um, you know, I will never like affirm the existence of God um, or Mm -hmm. not. That for me is a moot point because we'll never figure that out. And I don't think at this stage of the game, um, you know, if Christianity has a future, it's not in worshiping something outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's what it looks like to move um, theological realities forward in new parables that Mm -hmm. can be understood um, for the people around us and by ourselves as well. I feel like that kind of bleeds into the question, especially related to the fact that you guys are both just now putting so much emphasis on hermeneutics. And I love hermeneutics. Yeah. Like, I studied Koine to the extent that I can, you sure. know, and like I really, I think there's a lot of importance in, in seeing the cultural perspective where it was, which kind of can grate against an, a certain understanding of postmodernism mm-hmm. and being like, okay, you know, that, that was where it was. Now, where's the truth that we find here and now? But then at the same time, I wonder. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be a black and white and either or uh, a what was the original intent versus where is our application now. But at the same time, if you're going to put focus on one or the other, which you don't have to, but if you are, then is it really the hermeneutics? Is it really the this was the understanding, this was the intent when it was written? Like wh- where, how much value is there in really pursuing the original intent versus saying, okay, given Western culture, given the history of this belief system yeah. of this of this economy yeah. of this exchange yeah. you know then then where do we sit here and now having inherited yeah. this belief system like I, i'm yeah. just curious as no to- those are great questions and and uh, two things um and i'm gonna say two things and hopefully i can remember the second thing because oftentimes when i'm like two things yeah, three right. things by the time i get to yeah. the second and third i'm like uh-huh. what, was the, what was i gonna say um first thing is um your question is why i'm really um i really make a point on saying theological realities because yeah, theological so realities yeah. are very different from like historical realities and empirical realities and actual realities um those aren't important <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes, any biblical writer, it was about communicating a theological reality or a theological ethos. And so mm-hmm. it was their story of choice that they happened to encapsulate that in. And so that's kind of what we need to get at. Um, so there are like two different things going. Um, the second thing, see, I kind of already forgot what I was going to say the second thing, but I have a new second thing to say. <laughs> At least you um, called it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I knew that was going to happen. Um, like when I do these things, I should like sit with like a paper and pen oh, yeah, and just like right. write down what I want to say. But um, second thing is, you know, we're, we're okay, maybe I want to say more than two things. I'm going to stop with the numbers. I'm just going to yeah, go just, on a stream of consciousness. Talk. So, <laughs> you know, hermeneutically, we're speaking of like empirical versus implied realities. You know, the empirical being like the historical, actual, like scientific mm-hmm. reality, which sure. often does not have a lot of overlap with like the implied or ideal or perfect meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But what I want to say about that, whether you get an empirical interpretation or an implied interpretation, we actually don't have to sanction that interpretation. Like, we can have, like, a mad king interpretation of, like, a tribal monotheistic god who was, like, Mm. evil (laughs) and awful Mm. Um, and still be like, yep, that's what they were writing about. And what? This invalidates our faith because someone's experience of God 5,000 years ago was this? No. Mm-hmm. It just means that that's how God was experienced in that moment. Or that's how they wanted the rest of the world to experience their God in that moment. That is okay. Um, we can still engage that really healthily and it doesn't have to threaten what we think about God. I think one thing that I'm starting to really articulate right now is what it means to be uniquely Christian in like a super progressive, you know, postmodern era. And I think um, as progressives or liberals or whatever, and I don't define myself as a liberal. Um, I think those categories aren't particularly helpful all the time. Um, but I think we've lost a lot of like what it means to be uniquely Christian because we really want to do the inclusive thing. We really want to do the kumbaya thing. Mm. You know, we want everything to be like at peace and everyone's welcome. And certainly everyone is welcome. This is not about keeping anyone out. Um, but what does it mean to be distinct as a Christian? Um, not in ways where we think we're better or more than, right. but what what does it mean to be? Because a lot of times I'll sit in like mainline liberal, you know, denominations and I'm like, this seems like a UU situation, you know, a universalist Unitarian, or um, this seems like we all just really want to get along and so we don't want to talk about mm-hmm. things Walk that might sort of make us mm-hmm. distinctive or whatever. Be, and that's okay. Like, it's okay to sort of be distinct, but what is the strong narrative that kind of we're, we're moving forward with? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. So it's just something I'm kind of thinking about and exploring. Mm-hmm. Do you think we're choosing that narrative or do you think it's kind of being built around us and sweeping us along with I don't know we're living in such bizarre times we really are like yeah. there are so many political movements there are so many civic and like human rights movements and like people just are not taking like crap from anybody about mm-hmm. anything anymore like mm-hmm. which is great yeah. you know minorities women GLBTQ like we're all kind of setting the record straight and it's going to take at least at least a generation mm, um, to figure these things out but in the midst of it we are living in a little bit of like a politically correct insane asylum mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and a yeah. lot of things because everyone's so sensitive for very good reason um, are being you know seen as hate or exclusive or whatever so you know what does it mean to have a distinction um, mm-hmm. from someone else while still being open and inclusive but still living out a strong story um i was just having this conversation with someone the other day uh because for me it's so not about evangelism or Mm -hmm. proselytizing nobody's looking to convert anybody here but i would say to a muslim and to a hindu and to a buddhist to an atheist and agnostic the same thing that i would say to anybody as a self-identified christian like make meaning then (laughs) make meaning of your story Mm -hmm. and innovate it and don't drag something old and dusty um, into the future just because it's always been the way it's been that's, done. Yeah, that's really a good phrase. That makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because anything that has ever worked within religion um, has surfaced from the spiritual needs of a given community. Mm. Preach. So, <laughs> so why are we bringing what worked for their needs whenever it was 200, yeah. 150 years ago, whatever, mm into 2019 like that doesn't make sense like Mm. we need to actually do the work of identifying what the spiritual needs of our communities Mm. are right now and then building Mm. spiritual transformation around Mm. said need Mm. it's a lot of work yeah and it requires a lot from us we can't just do the thing like oh we'll pray about it or god will speak to us or Mm. god's calling me to do this or i don't know what god's nope like agency is yours like choice is yours you've been transformed by this story now go on and transform Mm. someone else but in a way that makes sense to them do you do you choose the tool or the medium of Western Christianity to carry that out in your world and, and to make a difference and to go and and take that forth, or is is that is that a conscious choice, or is that just kind of something that like I, I keep using the term inherited, but that's kind yeah. of how I see my my relationship with Christianity is it's something that that I was born into. Yeah, um, I feel like there's like three questions wrapped up <laughs> yeah, in, that, yeah. in in that one. I guess I'm asking. I'll try to boil it down a little okay. bit. Is it 
I, I feel like this one will be an obvious answer is because you're talking about interfaith yeah. things. It is Christianity the the tool that we need to carry those things out is my first question. I, I feel like I know how you're going to answer that. How do you think I'm going to answer it? I think you're going to say no. I am going to say no. Okay. Then why <laughs> why is that the tool that you use then? Um, because that's what I've invested my life in. Mm-hmm. And at a time when I can, could have given it up and maybe took a break for it for, from a little bit, mm-hmm. from it for a little bit, sure. I did. Um, I decided I don't want to actually give up this story. I want to keep writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, great. Yes, that's a great answer. Yeah. So, you know, so Pew Research did this massive poll in like 2014 and telling us all about like the nuns and duns and the spiritual but not religious and <laughs> atheism's on the rise and all the people that are leaving like traditional Christianity in the US and it's like so scary and so gloom and doom and it's an imp- it was an important pull and I use it a lot in my teaching and it's something that we need to really pay heed to um, but one of the smaller statistics that doesn't always get a lot of like dramatic play <laughs> is that people who are not leaving Christianity because there are millions who are not leaving it mm-hmm. um uh, research shows that on average those people are changing denominations at least three times mm-hmm. um, which is telling me that they're searching still so they, they haven't jumped ship all the way they're like still on board but they're like this brand of Christianity isn't working I'm going to try a different brand I'm mm-hmm. going to try a different and, and it's like just the kind of you know con, con, uh, consumer transactional you know situation or finding you know what, what works for you which we've all done that and there's no shame or blame there but my point is is that you know, people are searching and they don't want to jump ship. I think the people that do, it's because they've been presented with um, a very formal, um, strict, narrow mm. um, idea of what Christianity is. And they're like, not doing that. Yeah. Done. Mm-hmm. And they're only faced with this other option of right nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of a- atheism, of yeah, which is really just a reaction to, yeah. you can't have yeah. atheism without, as a term anyway, you can't have it without Exactly. Christianity. No, you can't. So, like, you know, I've chosen Christianity because that is, I mean, uh, I've invested my life in it. I'm still really on board with the radical, redemptive story of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and the New Testament and the scriptures. Um, I could be atheist. I don't really want to. I don't <laughs> find that particularly helpful. Right. I like the story that I'm living out. Um, I could skip over to another religion. I could easily become Muslim or UU or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but those gods don't make sense to me. Uh, hmm. my, 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 my brain hasn't been built around those spiritual narratives, those sacred narratives. This is my story. This is my community. Mm. I'm in. I like that. So. Well, I think, Maria, what you said, what really resonated with me is, like, that word is, like, searching. We're yeah. all searching because... I, I'm asked, like, kind of what you said earlier, is, like, how you, pr- you know, talk about being a Christian, like, 10 years ago to, yeah. to like, now. Yeah. I have a lot of family and friends who, even right now, if you talk to them and be like, <laughs> yeah. is Brian a Christian? They'd be like, hell yeah. no. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's not a Christian, but I would still identify as that. And kind of like what you were saying is, like, yeah, I've, I've switched denominations, like, three times. So yeah. I'm right in that wheelhouse, yeah. and I finally found a home, at least for me, in, in the United Church of Christ. And so as my wife... But it, and there's been many, many, many nights where I just sat thinking, I'm like, should I just give all this up? Before I found the UCC. So even in our seminary where we went to seminary, I mean, there was a lot of like close friends that I still have Mm -hmm. where I would, you know, over a beer or a cigar, I would say like, I don't know if I believe in this anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I like, I'm searching like, well, yeah, that's for me. Yeah. Yeah, Literally for me, it's like, I don't know what makes sense, what believes. And so it's for searching and Mm -hmm. people in like, I've, you know, I've thought, I'm like, well, should I call myself agnostic? Should I call myself atheistic? And there's some days where like those, those terms or titles are make sense to me. But I think what you said, which is so resonates with me is that, like searching like that's my narrative my whole yeah, life has yeah. been around that and like i've dedicated you know years of education and knowledge and in service and even into ministry where mm-hmm. like sometimes you know, like jay baker like who's really close friends with me like mm-hmm. he's even said to me like i want to give this up there's every part of me that wants to give up being a christian for all the negative things that have happened but he's like there's just something that keeps bringing me back and mm-hmm. i will look at him and say same yeah. same with me like there yeah. is something within that narrative there's something 
whether it's God, Jesus, the teachings in the New Testament, whatever it yeah. is for whatever, yeah. is it it wheels a, it kind of like brings us back in. So what you said, I, I really think to me, like what really hit home with me is like that searching, and all of us are searching yeah. for something, and and that could be Christianity, that could be um, Islam, that could be atheism, it could yeah. be whatever it is, and that's yeah. fine. But I think we live in a society now. What like you were saying earlier too is that's okay. We yeah. live in a society where it's like, hey, you want to be a Christian? That's your narrative. That's your story. Stick with it. Yeah. If your narrative is you're an atheist, stick with it. Go with it. No one's trying to convert you. Well, some people might be trying yeah. to convert you, but yeah. a lot of we're living in a Now, now we're living yeah. in a culture where it's like someone could be like, "Are you a Christian? Yeah. Okay. Great. I'm." atheistic yeah. okay great yeah. and and or both or both yeah yeah so yeah but i want to i also want to be very clear about something like theism is a these are all reactions to different forms of theism um mm-hmm. and i think for me when i talk about searching i really want to be clear that i am not searching for something outside of myself like um or outside of my community so i'm not searching for the god that exists stronger in a particular story than not um hmm. you know I don't give preference to the God of Christianity above, you know, Islam's interpretation of Allah okay. or, you know, the the Hindu understanding of, you know, gurus and Hare Krishna and all, you know, whatever you want to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- for me, and I, I know I've said this before and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but like the, the theological reality that has um, really, I mean, when you, I, I don't want to go too down the rabbit trail of like, neuroscience or anything like that but you know (laughs) when you think about like social brains and social stimuli and synapses and narratives within your neural pathways and and what that looks like um and all that we're learning about the plasticity of the brain and Mm -hmm. people like jeffrey robbins who's a radical theologian has started doing a lot with like the plasticity of god now you know um taken from you know recent developments in neuroscience over the past couple decades and now he's talking about the plastic god like that's his big thing and i really like it i'm on board i kind of can't get enough but um so shout out to you jeffrey robbins um (laughs) um but you know it's this this idea of like my my brain and my neurological functions that make me me have been formed around this really important story um i've experienced uh very visceral um uh spiritual moments um, that are sort of indelible in my brain and burned within my heart and my soul Um, and I'm not really interested in having a conversation that either like affirms the empiricism about them or just says you know that was a nice little warm fuzzy that I experienced Mm -hmm. that was my experience that's what I had like that's what's in my brain. That's what brought me to the next moment. You know, so for me, for me, it's not about saying like this is right or that is wrong or this God is right and that God is wrong mm. or like God exists in all form. Like it's so not about anything outside mm. of mm. me. Yeah, it's really about like us together. Mm-hmm. You know, the three oh. of us here, what we're building, yeah. and like the sacred realities. I don't even like using that word sacred so much because it it begs, you know, a counterpart, which would be secular. And I just mm. think those are false binaries anyway. You need to change your name. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. Sorry. I didn't mean to like... No, no, you're I, fine. You're as fine. I was saying it, I was like, shit. <laughs> I'm it. on the Sacred Collective <laughs> podcast. Um, are you going to be on the Secular you, Collective yeah. afterwards? Or you just or? change your name to the Secular Collective? That's how the secular. That's pretty good. That's the secular. The Secular Collective? <laughs> but, but, I mean, does that make sense? Oh, so, yeah, like, yeah, there, yeah. there is no... Like um, higher ontological reality than us Mm -hmm. at this moment, and and I don't say there isn't in terms of like I'm I'm affirming or unaffirming that reality. I'm saying I'm not interested in that conversation. Sure, absolutely, yeah. The higher reality that Mm -hmm. we're talking about is like transcending the reality we're trying to move through, which is Mm -hmm. that theistic, atheistic spectrum that just goes back and forth. And I think one of you just said this a minute ago, it's hard to even define those on their own terms anymore oh, because they've yeah. just become defined by reality. Yeah, yeah. So uh-huh. that's yeah. very interesting yeah. to be a Christian uh-huh. at the moment or yeah. any person of faith. Do you think- I just want to tell our listeners that this is free. By the way, I feel like we're going to class, which is great, <laughs> but it's free. Right. So do you think... Um- <laughs> So obviously there's there's importance, there's weight in the yeah. shared constructs, in the shared yeah, vocabularies. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I fully important. agree with 100% everything you're saying. And it just kind of, 
raises the question in my mind, which is something that I wrestle with too. I'm, I'm not setting you up for a certain answer at all. Yeah. It's just like uh, the the level to which I can even put because I don't I don't honestly give a shit if there's a god or not, and sure. I don't think like you said earlier, like I can't put my finger on that. Yeah. And, you know, um, but this vocabulary of Christianity is important to Mm -hmm. me and is very, uh, very familiar. Yeah. And it's shared language and shared shared, experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then it's like to what extent, you know, it's like when I when I say God it's not going to mean anything close to what even even me like three years ago would have defined that term as, you know. And and so it's just kind of tricky to navigate you know these these shared terms, just like any other shared terms, but we put extra weight in in these sacred yeah. terms per yeah, se. Yeah, yeah, you know, sure. in, in these in these like yeah. holy divine or not even yeah. divine, but yeah, holy terms, I guess. Well, you know, I think the conversation of language is uh, one that people are really keen to have these days, mm. and for those who are not keen, they're being forced. Like mm-hmm. we just have to do it. Um, you know, in terms of the work I do at Hatchery, part of spiritual innovation is finding new language, right? You start new talking parables. Derrida now. What was that? Are you can start talking Derrida. Yeah, we could do Derrida. <laughs> you know, we, we could do we could do a lot of people that you know um, kind of grew out of, of his work as <laughs> yeah. well. Uh, John Caputo being one of them, who talks of a lot about language. Um, you know, and and someone like Caputo talks a lot about uh, new language in terms of like the knowable being the unknowable and the impossible moving to the impossible and, and things like that. Um, but I know he also talks a lot about sort of reclaiming some like kingdom of God mm, language. Mm-hmm. And he does a lot with like the folly and yep. the weakness of God taking off on you know Paul's other to the Corinthians and blah blah blah. Um, you know, someone like Jeff Robbins, who's also a radical theologian like Caputo, but on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to what we should do with language. So he would say um, some of this language is just too problematic and it's just weighted down with way too much toxic meaning Mm -hmm. um, and has been misused to the point where it's finished. Mm. Um, And so he would say something like, um, you know, instead of using the word uh, messianic, we need to use metamorphic. Mm. And instead of saying words like resurrection, we need to use insurrection. Mm. So this is not an easy task, But again, this is about theological realities being communicated. Um, mm-hmm. It's not about like a very specific, words have no meaning that we don't give them. Yep. You know, we're in charge when it comes to words. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tell this story a lot and, and I'm sure people who are listening to this podcast, if they've heard me on other podcasts, I've, I've told this story, but I'll just give a very light version of it now. So um, at Hatchery, we talk a lot about innovative theology and innovative methodology. And for that, for us, that's what it means to be a spiritual entrepreneur. And that's not any particular like theological framework, but it's about challenging the person we're working with to move their um, God stories forward in ways that make sense for the community that they're serving. So I was having a conversation with a pastor recently, and she was telling me her own story of innovative theology. And she said, you know, for the people that I minister to, which for her, um, she was talking about... um, a, a demographic of people known as um, intimate abuse um, victims or survivors, intimate partner abuse. That's what she mm. called it. And you've heard this story, Caleb, mm. I'm sure. Um, and she said, you know, there's actually no situation in which I can talk about the cross. We're not a cross-centric community. We're not a death-centric or a suffering-centric community. Um, I cannot tell a story and hope for any kind of redemption, healing, restoration, spiritual transformation at all that involves a parent who had every resource at their disposal to pluck their child out of harm's way and completely turn their back on that child and left that child to be, you know, brutally beaten, you know, mischarged, misused, raped, violated, Mm -hmm. deserted, abandoned. Um, Not only that, but the sheer amount of detail in terms of the violence uh, that was enacted upon Jesus of Nazareth um, that will be a trigger of trauma for everyone that she is like she can never have that she she can never tell that story. Can she communicate theological realities of redemption and restoration and all things being made new and something dying and composting so something else can live more fully? Yes, absolutely. Can she talk about Jesus Christ? Absolutely, but she can't talk about the cross. Right. And the cross has been the central event mm. to Christianity. So what does that look like? Wow. Um that's really heavy. Yeah, I love that. So it's work. It's not like these things are going to be easy. So when we're talking about, yeah, we need shared language, absolutely. But we're we're writing that language now. We're mm. refiguring. We're reimagining. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And language, you know, is is adaptive. And whenever you try to uh, to, to give it some sort of a some sort of a, a, 
a, a middle ground, like politically, yeah, like as a political initiative, sure. like stuff like that just fails. Like language yeah. is adaptive. That's why yeah. Latin, you know, vulgar Latin, yeah. became like twenty different sister languages now. Like that's why I have a whole branch of Romance languages. Yeah. And I'm kind of going off in my own little rabbit hole, it's but okay. like, but language is adaptive, and yeah. and when you try to to have an initiative. That is that is mindful of its own self. Yeah, you know, usually like that's that fails because it's against the very nature of language. Like language just adapts and yeah. and is affected by its surroundings and by by the needs that yeah. it provides. Yeah, you know, like like a lot of uh, a lot of Spanish is influenced by the Moors because because of trade routes and things like that. Right. Like like yeah. we adopt things based upon the needs. I'm just, I'm well, just, but, but, no, but it's it meant to sense. serve yeah. us. Like it's meant to be useful to us. And the moment it starts failing us or working against us, or it's something that we have to like keep on life support and drag around. Like that's not how mm. language works. Right. And more than it, yeah. language, that's actually not how like living communication works. Yeah. Right. So. Totally. Yeah. Um, some of our listeners might know this, but if we can, maybe if you could give, I don't know if you can in a five minute or less, what what radical theology is? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's a such tough, a spectrum. Yeah, 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 yeah. And well, then you can go to the pyro theology after that. Well, yeah. I'm going to leave no the pyro theology to Pete Rollins. <laughs> yeah. I know what that is, and yeah. I know Caleb does, but I know yeah. a lot of listeners who do listen yeah. and be like, well, what is this radical theology? Because it is something I think is important yeah. to talk about, and you've yeah. you know kind of said it a couple of times. So if you can, yeah. in a few minutes, or maybe just point them to where they can research. Yeah, them. yeah. yeah. Totally. Well, I'll say a few things about radical theology. Um, you know, I always I always try and define radical theology in sort of a, a see spot run sort of <laughs> nature mm-hmm. situation. Um, and first of all, I think radical theology in sort of the turbulent religious times in which we find ourselves probably is going to need to be renamed at some point when we're talking about radical notions of religion. It just... Mm-hmm. Like our podcast maybe has to change. No. <laughs> no, so don't change it. It's so good. Um, um, so radical theology, I would say for the seminarians out there um, or people who have been have, have had some theological training, I would say, um, you know, as you move more progressive theologically, you might engage something like open theism and something like process theology. I would say process theology is the last stop on like the ontology train (laughs) before you fall off the cliff and then you're in radical theology. So, um, you know, radical theology does not buy and trade in currencies of object and being and agency, um, but more in event and experience. You know, in terms of Derrida and Caputo, there's mm-hmm. our little little nod to him, nod to them. Um, radical theology um, is obviously built on, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here. This is for the listeners. <laughs> um, you know, out of the Death of God movement. You know, the Time magazine cover, 1966. You know, is God dead? Um, you know, Thomas Altizer and Hamilton and all of those guys who who launched that movement. Um, you know, and and all of this time later, over a half a century later, we're still not quite done with all of that, and there's still a lot of work to do. Um, so I think now radical theology is about well, and I'm going to borrow Richard Carney's words from his work, Anathism. Here, you know, it's about God after God. It's about faith after faith, or faith beyond faith. Mm. Like, what does it look like to come out of the rubble of the death of God? Um, but still not quite being done with concepts of God, but in radically new and subversive ways, in ways that transcend the spectrum that, you know, quote-unquote, air quotes here for everyone, God um, has has been on. Mm. So, I don't know. I know that was super simple, but I had a really short amount of time to no, sort of define that. that but God after God. God after God, yeah, certainly. And God after God, you know, little g God after after big G God, mm. you know, what does that look like? And that. it's a, it's a spectrum, you know, mm-hmm. um, in terms of recommended resources, let's go back to the metaphor of the gateway. <laughs> I think the gateway into some of this stuff is definitely, um, some of Peter Rollins works, um, the idolatry of God, the I divine ma- magician, which I think is his newest one. Um, John Caputo is a great resource. So the mm-hmm. folly of God, the weakness of God, Absolutely. um, 
Weak theology. Weak theology, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeffrey Robbins came out with a book a couple of years ago, um, Radical Theology, A Vision for Change. That's a good one. That. It's like the next the next wave, I suppose. Caputo and Rollins are on my bookshelf, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you have to read that book, and then you yeah. have to like read the chapter over, because you're like, what did I just read? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I would go back to the Altizer stuff. You know, he just recently passed this year, as you as you both know. And mm-hmm. um, and his original, like, Death of God, it's the black and white cover. Kind of, I don't know which mimics who the, the time cover, or probably the time cover mimics that book. But, um, yeah, just just go back and kind of start start with that so i think this is just a little tangent i won't say too much about it but i think radical theology owes a debt to liberation theology actually i think liberation Mm. theology they were the first peeps to um start to really blow up constructs Mm. and uh, constructs of god and social productions of of god and that kind of thing but i would concur yeah um i know this little off topic and you said it's kind of dormant right now but one thing um and we've talked about this before I think it was a couple of years ago. We you were in town. Um, it was when Trip Fuller, Tony Jones, mm-hmm. and Greg Boyd mm-hmm. and Rachel Held Evans um, yeah. had their thing. I think it was at a bar here, but it was no more circles that you have. Yes. Um, if you want to just give a little bit on that, yeah. Because I think it's pretty cool, and I yeah. like when it's. I can see that on Instagram, kind of yeah. what that's all about, and how that kind of started and formed. Yeah, so No More Circles was inspired. Do you guys know Mark C. Taylor? Um, nope. He's name sounds familiar. Yeah, he's written, he's just a prolific writer. Um, he, he uh, kind of a renaissance man. He's had his hands in so much, but most notably for many years, he's been um, the chair of the Department of Religion at Columbia. I think he mm. just stepped down from that recently. Um, just incredibly brilliant, like just publishes, publishes, publishes. Anyway, um, he's written a text called After God, which I think is arguably one of the most important texts on religion in the last decade or so. Um, it's a big volume. It's like, you know, that thick. And he opens this incredible work with, um, I no longer believe in circles as I once did. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea. In fact, when I first launched more, No More Circles a couple of years ago, I wrote him when I was in New York. And I was like, oh, he's going to be so busy. He's like so important. And I was like, hi, Dr. Taylor, are you busy? Like I this blog, nomorecircles.org, and it's based on your one line. And he was like, I forgot I even read that. Like, come, come to Matt and come to Columbia. I'll meet with you. And I was oh, like, cool. oh, my God, I'm no going to be with Mark C. Oh Taylor. Gosh, it was like incredible. this incredible moment um, to just sit for an hour in his office and just talk with him. And we talked about a million things. But... You know, it's just this idea that, you know, this is not like a closed system where we just keep going around and around and getting the mm-hmm. same thing. Like, it's not static. Like, we're not on a grid. We're, like, off the grid. Like, we've completely blown up blown up the grid. Like, the grid actually never really existed. <laughs> like, right. we just thought that it did. Like, modernity. We just thought that was the thing. Um, and it's just an idea that, like, you know, it's really more of a spiral. And for the three of us who've studied hermeneutics mm-hmm. we know about spirals and circles and all of those things um but it's just about evolving into the future and you know doing things differently subversively um so no more circles is um i originally designed it to be a theological collective and by a theological collective i mean like the a and parenthetical sort of you know Ah, theological, <laughs> um, you know, outside of, of theism. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and what does it look like to transcend, you know, all the useless conversations between traditional theism and militant atheism? You know, what does it look like to give people like us who've come out of, you know, a fairly rigid understanding of Christianity, mm-hmm. um, but still want to see that move into the future in dynamic ways? Um, yeah. Uh, in ways that keep us alive and breathing, in ways that, you know, enact good in the world. Mm. Um, but we don't feel any sort of sense of, like, compromise or, like, death in our soul. <laughs> yeah. So um, what does it look like to, to live that sense of Christianity out? And it was really designed with a group of people that I lovingly refer to as the posties in mind. You know, so post-evangelical, post-charismatic, post-Christian, post-belief, post-whatever. Um, what does it look like, like to be a postie? Yeah. yeah, the posties. It'd be a good award ceremony name too. Yeah, the posties. <laughs> yeah, so it's basically like a place where I've I've written a lot on it. I've had guest writers um, write, uh, and just kind of like sharing our thoughts on like what we think is some of the next steps or stages of hmm. Christianity. 
um, most recently, and uh, I haven't updated it in a while, but most recently I my blog um, on there was um, Impersonal Jesus, M-I-M being in parentheses. Um, and it was fairly controversial <laughs> um, because I was basically talking about that our relationship with the central figure um, of Christianity is actually superfluous to the central mission of Christianity and that um, a personal relationship with any kind of notion of divine caregiver is okay, but it's a really um, private matter <laughs> Yeah, and should definitely not be like the, the main stage or the main attraction, especially of a public faith. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, someone wrote me and said, you know, you're making up your own religion here. Yeah. I said, no, no, I'm not. But I understand why you think that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit about No More Circles. And um, that's nomorecircles.org and hatrelay.com. Um, we're all about doing the, the innovative thing. So what does it look like to uh, do church models in ways that are supported by the own, your, you know, your own ecosystem of mm-hmm. like your community and your social locations. Um, anything you do would be derived from stuff you identify in terms of spiritual needs in mm-hmm. your context, in your community. So you're not just going in and being like, oh, I'm going to plant a church and here's our website and our social media and here's the money we're going to do it with. And here's our staff. And it's like, have you done any sort of market segment discovery research to figure right. out if like you're actually meeting a need? Right. Like yeah. have you even figured out personal this? experience with this? Yeah. Community? Yeah, yeah, precisely. So um, we've actually uh, started applying um, human-centered design thinking to things like church models and theological frameworks and theological language and all of that. And so it's been good. Um, Caleb, I know you were in a cohort that recently finished with us, and Mm -hmm. we have another cohort we're going to launch on June 13th. I don't know when this is going to air, but soon. Soon. Mm -hmm. So um, you can check us out at hatchrelay.com. But, yeah, that's kind of what I'm up to. Nice. Yeah. I should sign up. Yeah, you should sign up. I can never have too much education. Love to have you. Really would. No, and and, no, I just really believe in Hatchery LA because I knew about it a while back, but Mm -hmm. it was kind of like fuzzy. I didn't know. But then obviously we're friends on Facebook and all all those cool socials. Instagram. Yeah. And and so, but but no, but that's good because learning from you and what you've posted and like your Insta stories and stuff like that and learning about Hatchery is super exciting and like I think I had texted you a while back we had talked about because like usually when we meet with like our larger group um, mm. we try to do like one week like, like more of our group where we you know pick a topic and talk about but we're trying to do interviews with people we think are have something awesome and powerful to say and yeah. you're one of them thank you um but we really believe in like what hatchery's doing i know i know mm-hmm. i do and obviously caleb you do since you were part of the cohort but like of what you guys are doing with you know with everything you're doing i mean yeah. there's so much to <laughs> encapsulate so shameless plug well not even a shameless plug plug um, Hatchery LA because yeah. of what you. you guys are doing thank you so much um, it's incredible and I mean I know here like I'm seminary trained but even what yeah. you're saying I'm just like my brain is like yeah. just with all all the stuff that you're saying and like what you're saying it's like it's like Maria's in my brain <laughs> it's like yes 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 yeah. oh I haven't thought of that yeah. Yeah. and maybe what you're saying is, is even helping me to yeah. Maybe like even with language, sometimes we just get so bogged down yeah. with mm-hmm. language yeah. and, and the the God language or whatever. Yeah. So, well, and yeah, and part of what we do is like help people even articulate. Yeah, I mean, everyone's feeling the tension and the rub of like people have lost interest yep. in God in yep, church. Yep, people yep. aren't showing up. Like membership numbers yep, declining. Yep. Like giving money, right. all of that is on the decline. And it's like we know that it's happening, but we don't know why. Right, and so. We do a lot of educating and curriculum on like setting the stage and like what is the state of affairs mm-hmm. of Christianity yeah. in the US at the moment. Uh-huh. And we have a lot of like international students who work too. So in essentially we really talk about Christianity in the West. Um, but like, you know, how are the religious landscapes shifting? How are the new cultural contexts forming right. up? You know, yeah. what's the new economic realities, the new digital like how mm-hmm. do all of these things enact like a pressure cooker yeah. upon Christianity and is really fundamentally changing the DNA of it. Yeah. So we help, you know, articulate that and then we move on to innovative theology and design thinking mm-hmm. and how to apply those things in, in faith based contexts. But um and I, I, I appreciate know. how the hatchery and collectives like it are focusing Less on, or maybe more so on awareness and education, and less on conversion yeah. and things like that. Because I know yeah. that if 
let's say, because I used to be like a Southern Baptist worship leader. Oh, wow. Like I used to be like in that shit. I I used to hand out tracts on the the street. You know, I used to study how to convert people and things like that. And so if I were endorsing, you know, a a church group or something like that about 10 years ago, it would be like, oh, yeah, we're going to. We're going to make some new tallies. We're going to save a bunch of souls. Yeah. You know, we're going to convert a bunch of people to the team. But now it's more like, okay, how do we digest this stuff that we're chewing on already? Yeah. It's not like, okay, here's, here's a meal. This is exactly, this is kind of a stretched metaphor, but like, this is the diet that you need. You need to eat. It's like, no, we're already chewing on this stuff. Yeah. Like, how do we better digest this in a healthy way? It's not like this is the only sustenance that is an option, but mm-hmm. it's like, this is what is here in front of us right mm-hmm. now. And yeah, it's, it's fair to push against it. But then even then it is a reaction to the thing that you're pushing against. Yeah. And so it's just kind of helping people to, to process and digest what's in front of them. And maybe, maybe even offer somebody a, a new perspective, you know, that, that didn't, didn't have a place for, for, for Christian terminology or, or, or you know, Christian culture in the, in the first place. Yeah. But that doesn't even matter. Honestly, yeah. it's, it's just kind of, because like sometimes like we talked about this in the previous podcast. Like sometimes I'll, I'll give talks, you know, at, at Revolution at Jay Baker's church. Yeah. And for me, the motivator there, when I step in, kind of step into the shadow of that role as a quote unquote preacher or pastor. Yeah. To me, it's it's saying if you want to be here, yeah. Know why you want to be here. Precisely. And if you want to step out of it, that's okay too. Then that's that is amazing. But let be a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and it's interesting. So, like going back to what you were saying about seminarians and then you were saying like people who are just like that don't have our background they don't even have Mm, language for this stuff so Mm. like at hatchery we've kind of we've gone through our own process of like design and and all of that when we were um kind of discovering and and writing all this curriculum and and uh, once we launched it we found that we had like three demographics of people that we were consistently serving Mm. and that were really interested in what we were doing and the first demographic um, consisted of seminary graduates over the last 10 years from ATS-accredited seminaries in North America. And mostly they just kind of felt like they were being educated and trained for jobs that don't actually exist anymore mm. when they get out. <laughs> and this is like, I, you know, I'm, I'm 36 and, you know, pretty much the tenure of my theological career before Hatchery has been in theological education and seminaries. So, um, and I have a few seminary degrees and I'm, doing another one right now so it's like i'm not poo-pooing seminaries um but i know the inside of the system and the institution and you know with ats accreditation standards and you know they're just too big to be as nimble as they need to be to adapt to like a changing world and changing culture like that's something we're going to have to address going forward with seminaries and i think they're already addressing it over the past several years like you know accreditation standards have changed required amount of credits for MAs and MDivs have changed mm-hmm. and all that right so that's kind of the first demographic of people the second demographic are um, ministers and pastors in transition um, cultural transition where they have they have traditional churches that are really starting to take a deep nosedive and they're really afraid that any moment now they're going to have to like shut the lights and close the doors they don't want to so what does it look like to bring transformation and bring them through a process right. um, of an actual really useful situation <laughs> um and then the the third demographic uh is a group that a lot of people are calling our cultural creatives and i think that was kind of the group you just alluded to they mm. are looking for fresh expressions of this faith you know they're younger so maybe they haven't had like a l- little bit of like jaded experience or mm. whatever mm. um but they know that they're into their christianity they're into their spirituality and they've already completely at like 22 evaluated like institutional christianity and been like no (laughs) i basically like pushed the far head of institutional christianity away um and uh but but they're still in it and they're like what does it look like to be a christ follower in 2019 you know in my western context and actually like make a difference and do good in the name of of the christianity i identify with so yeah it's it's interesting work it's um not your normal everyday yeah. <laughs> job, certainly, mm. um, but it's been it's been so good and it's so so very fulfilling, um, mm. and I, I feel very happy and very lucky to to be doing this work. So, mm. well, thank you for doing. Yeah, it. yeah. I think it's a good good stopping point. Okay, around an hour. Uh, I like to say this to all our guests: in the future, would you want to come back on? Is that a question to me? Yes, absolutely. 
Awesome. Such a <laughs> Absolutely. Setup. Who's going to say no? <laughs> no, I love these conversations. Where it's, where it's like, you want to be back on, and they're like, kind of quiet. So you yeah. not always Crickets. Yes, but, yeah. <laughs> But thank you. Yeah, um, thank you it. for. Thank you. I know you're here in the Twin Cities on you know kind of occasion, yeah. On occasion and vacay, yeah. but we can we can always Skype or yeah. whatever. Maybe we can always go out to LA. That yeah, would be, uh, come to LA, and I'm always jaunting somewhere. That's my base. That's where I live right now. But I'm always somewhere. So yeah, <laughs> just so find me. You're always somewhere. That's, yeah, that's the Maria guarantee. You're that, always that's somewhere. That's the Maria guarantee. Yeah, yeah always exactly. Somewhere. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Maria, yes. for making time out of your busy time here in the city. Yes, yes. Um, and yeah, till next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at Sacred MN. A post-Christian production. Felt that Skyman chill. Yeah, there you are, God. <laughs>